today. And it's, a, it's a new series. I've been wrestling with it. Uh, <laughs> I've been wrestling with it for several weeks. Uh, God is good. And I, I just sat over there this morning and I thought, God, you don't need a, you don't need a PR firm. You, you announce your, your plan ahead of time. And so uh, it, it was confirmation to me because I've, I've struggled. I thought, God, are you sure you want me to go here? And, you know, I, I just didn't know. But look, we're going to begin a series today. And, and I'm just calling it God is good and he's far better than you think. And we're going to look at scripture today I'm just going to introduce a little bit and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to show you some biblical theology by that I mean some biblical truth about what God says about himself okay and 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 we're going to look at this today but as we move into this we're going to look at at some of the things we have believed through the centuries we have believed in our lifetimes that are, are a lot of truth, but they're wrapped in a kernel of a lie. And though we say God is good, deep down inside of us sometimes there are questions. And, and questions are okay. But what happens is when I've got questions about the goodness of God, I don't represent God like I'm supposed to. And by represent, I mean represent that's what represent means. It means to represent over and over and over. And so what happens is sometimes we struggle with this. And so, you know, I, I was, as I was beginning to work this out, I remembered back, Nelson, where did you hear God was good the first time? And, and I can honestly, I, I believe this is true. As as far back as I remember, and I, I you know I wish I, I'm not like Kathy. I can't remember where I was and when it was and what I was wearing. She's got a she's got a wonderful memory. I can't remember who I talked to yesterday. Most of the time, I mean I'm honest. I'm, I mean she'll tell you that's true. I can't remember where I'm at sometimes. I stuck my while I was putting up the tent. I stuck my knife up under my arm, and no, I wasn't. I wasn't putting the tent up. I was at my garden, and I stuck my knife up under my arm, and then I got panicked because I'd lost my knife, and I'm facing around. I'm walking around, and my knife is just tucked in under my arm. So my memory's not the best in the world, but, but I do remember this. As a little bitty child, the first thing I learned about God was God is good. And here's, here's why. Because every time we ate a meal, we had grace was said over, a blessing was said. And as a little child, I mean a tiny child, I learned God is great, God is good. Now at our house, it was amen, okay? I know at other people's house it was a little bit more in depth. For by his hands we are fed, give us Lord daily bread. We've cut to the chase. God is good. God is great. Thank you for this food. Amen. And that was it. But I remembered uh, that, and I, I thought back, you know, God, I learned that early on before I really understood what that was. I learned, God taught me a truth about him that I would have to flesh out and walk out and come to a belief of that was based on what his word said and what I experienced. And, and as we were singing, I, I, I remember this, I love this song. I've heard a thousand stories of what they 
say you're like. Man, I, I've grown up hearing the stories. I, we, we went to church every time the church doors were open. We lived next door to the church, okay? So if the wind blew the doors open, we went. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I, I, we went Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and if they had something... We went then. And so I've heard stories. I've heard a lifetime of sermons. And I've heard how God is so good. And, and you know what? The Bible declares this truth. The Bible declares over and over in no uncertain terms that, that, that God is good. Jesus. When Jesus is con- confronted, and I say confronted, I don't mean in a, in a combative sense, but he's confronted by a young man who calls him a good teacher. He says, good teacher. And Jesus says this in Mark chapter 10, verse 18. He says, no one is good except God. Jesus is not saying, I'm not good. Now, we, 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 sometimes we interpret it that way, but he's, he's making a statement that, that we need to realize nobody is good except God. God determines what is good and what it's not. It's not our job. It's not our responsibility. And, and you know what? Most of us would profess that, right? We believe that. Or at least we say that. And, and we have to, okay? It's in the Bible, right? Come on, we're going to get down right down there where we all live, all right? Most of, a lot of the times the things we profess is because it's right here and we know this is true, but it may not be. It may not be my experience. It may not be what's happening right now and what I'm going through, but I have to believe this or at least, you know, I have to act like I believe it. Even if I don't see it sometimes, I don't understand it most of the time, or I don't consistently experience or walk in it. God is good. That's what this book teaches. But the question is, and and this comes down to how we represent God, how we represent God. Do we really believe that? And if we do, does it cause us to live out that truth in our daily experience? Listen, I, 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 before I became pastor at this church and we planted this church, I counseled every day, almost, for about 12 and a half years. All right? I've heard every complaint. You can, you can probably complain. I've heard every story. That I, I'm not saying you couldn't shock me. You, you might could, but I'll guarantee you my mouth won't drop because I've heard at least something like it. I, I, I dealt with people who were believers most of the time, and yet their, their vision of, of who God was and their experience of him or, or what they believed and what they were experiencing seemed to be worlds apart, Okay. What's happened is sometimes we take a theology or we have a theology. And theology just means, and we'll look at this more in the weeks to come, a theology is how we think about God. That's all it is. Theos is God. Ology or logi is, is, a, is a word or a thought or a reasoning about God. And so how we think about God is our theology. And it may or may not be biblical. 
It may or may not be true. But what happens is, is many of us and many people in, in the body of Christ today who love Jesus and who are saved and who will be in heaven, we have a theology built on excuses that explain away the unexplainable and protect us and keep us from digging in and exploring deeply our fears, our sorrows, our suffering. We don't want to go there. God is good all the time. All the time, God's good. We, we, we parrot that, but it may not be our experience all the time. Yeah, but, 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 yeah but, but, but you know what? God is not afraid of us just being honest. Read the Psalms. Where are you, God? My enemies are stomping the daylights out of me. Where are you at? Read the book of Job. God, I've been righteous. I've done this. I've done what you told me. Where are you? Where are you when I need you? Why is this happening to me? Now listen, Job does not question what God is doing. He's just questioning why it just continues to come. And why? Because of his righteousness and and he's walked out what he knew to walk out. Why am I enduring that? God never answers the why. But God never questions Job's righteousness either. You remember what he told Satan? Have you seen my servant Job? There's nobody else like him on the earth. But what happens is we, we develop these belief systems, these, these theological suppositions and presuppositions that attribute the things we, we can't explain or we won't deal with to the mystery of God. Now listen to me before you, you turn me off. There are things about God that are mysterious. And we're not going to know them. Okay? He he is infinite. We are finite. He is outside of time, space, and all the other stuff that he created. We live right smack dab in the middle of it. Okay? So, So there are things that are mysterious. And there are things that are his will. But now listen to me before you jump too far out there. That's a garbage can excuse most of us use. To, to explain away our responsibility must just be the will of God. Okay? There is a will of God. And, and we, can, we can discern that will and we can walk in that will and we can live in that will. Otherwise, he would have not called us to do that. All right? So, so we're going to look at the will of God. We're going to look at the mystery of God. But too often we make that like a, a rug. How many of you have, have ever seen any, a cartoon or a, a, a sitcom on TV where they swept and they swept and they swept and they got this pile of garbage and they looked around and they lifted up the rug and swept the garbage under it and dropped it? That's what we do in our spiritual lives. And God gets to be the rug we lift up and sweep the garbage under and we call it His will. Or we call it, it's just a mystery, brother. Most of the mysteries we deal with are revealed here in Scripture. There are answers to life in our Scriptures. Our problem is, is we just attribute things that we're too lazy or we're too fearful to search out to that divine category. In other words, I don't want to deal with that. When I was counseling every day, here's the answer I would hear to most of my questions. I don't know. 
The percentage of they don't know is minute. All right? I don't know usually means I don't want to go there. I don't want to take responsibility for that. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. It's not that I don't know, it's I don't want to. But yet what happens is we push it into that 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 place of 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 of, of the divine category, and it can't be questioned, the will of God. You hear that? Well, it just must be the will of God. Listen, I've heard the will of God blamed for a ton of things that the will of God had nothing to do with. All right? Well, God just needed them more than he needed than we needed them, so he took them. I've heard children uh, that, that died prematurely uh, uh, in life. Uh, it's just the will of God. How do you know that's the will of God? God never, the Bible never says God comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's attributed to somebody else by Jesus. I'm not going to get off on that yet. We'll get on that highway in another Sunday. But I'm just saying sometimes we, we take these things that sound so good instead of struggling with them. The reason that, 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 that the book of Job goes on and on and on is because Job is struggling with things that don't make sense and he's questioning them. He's chasing an answer. Most of us will accept things that, that are not answers because our theology is built on our experience, not on the Word of God, who God is and how God acts those things out. We try to explain the way. We try to excuse God. Can I just tell you something? God does not need me to make excuses for him. He can stand on his own two feet, and he can support any decision he makes. And it will always be, mark this down, write this in the fly leaves of your Bible. He will make it based on his goodness. On his goodness. I got to go on. I got to. I got to cover ground. I told the folks t- yesterday. Probably not going to preach very long today. I'm, it was a prediction. It really was. I think I've missed it. Okay, but so what? Too many times we just we avoid the hard questions. Our theology is good in okay times and good times. But it's not good in bad times. We, we make up excuses. And so when we struggle with suffering and listen, Faith made this statement a while ago, if you live in this life, you will suffer some. Does that come from God? We'll make a decision on that down the road, okay? We'll make a decision. I don't think so, all right? But it's a part of the world we live in. It's a part of the life that, that we're under. It's a part of the curse that's, that is caused by sin. And so what happens is we, we avoid the hard questions about suffering. We, we, we make excuses about sickness and disease. And, and when there's a disaster somewhere, we just go, it must have been the will of God. God doesn't send disasters. Why would God destroy the righteous along with the wicked? Why would he destroy the people that he loves? Well, it must just be the mystery of God, Pastor, or the, or, or the will of God. Well, if that's your 
theology, that's how you'll explain it away, and you don't have to struggle with it. You don't have to wrestle with it. I'm not there anymore. I wrestle with it. I wrestle when a tornado comes through and rips up a place. And they talk to people person after person. They said, the reason I'm alive today is the grace of God. There's somebody giving a testimony. Well, pastor, God did that so he could get on TV. God does not need a tornado to get on TV. He doesn't need the TV. God can ride it in the sky. Angels showed up when his son was born. He can, he can, he can communicate without those kind of things. But we explain that away. It's just easier if I don't think about it. I've told you all this before, but I've, I'm to the point when it comes to stormy weather in Alabama, and I hear about it, I go out on my porch, and I speak. I pray. I declare things. Because I believe God has given us the authority to do that. And if enough of us will do that, that, pl- that stuff will start moving around us. It moves around my property all year long. Okay, I've had a, a, a handful of little bitty branches that fell. I turn on my TV, man, there's devastation everywhere. I'm just saying not everything that God gets blamed for is God. It's because we don't believe that he is good. And so we, we, don't, we, we build theologies to excuse things instead of, of, of learning about him and understanding and discovering uh, that, that, that maybe I've believed a lie. And we, and we attribute these things to God either causes it or worse, God allows it. Okay, I've heard that all my life. Well, God allowed that. What kind of father or mother would you be if you allowed somebody knowingly to come in and harm your children, they put you in jail. Okay? I'm going to go on because i gotta, I got to cover. We'll get to that. I'm just, I'm just pouring a little bit in there to, to make you think a little bit. But God doesn't cause or allow suffering of any kind to make us better Christians. Okay? He doesn't do it to make us stronger in our faith, or or more determined in our resolve, or more faithful in our walk. If that was the case, salvation and keeping our salvation would be based on what we do instead of the finished work of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten. He gave Jesus that whoever believes in Him should have eternal life. Their, their problems will be, be taken care of. Their sins will be uh, forgiven. I'm not saying we won't have issues, but it's not God, okay? It's not God. Our answer to questions like this and the beliefs that we formulated between our own personal experience and the Scripture sometimes determines, it always determines, let me say it better, how we represent God up to around us, how we represent Him. And listen, Many churches represent, and many Christians represent, an angry God who is out to get you. I grew up with that preaching. You did too. Okay? Man, I heard how angry God was. And how he was, if you didn't turn, you were going to burn. And if you didn't change the way you lived, you were going to do this. And on and on and on. I understand. But listen to me. God's not mad. He's not angry. He poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ. Now, is God upset by things? Oh, I think so. And, and he's patiently putting that, 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 that next step 
into a place. And one of these days, that bowl will be poured out and his wrath will pour out. But it won't pour out on the body of Christ. It'll pour out on those who said, we don't want you to be our God. We will not listen to you. We have chosen something else. Okay, not going any further with that. Okay, but listen, if, 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 if God is the ultimate source, if he's the prime mover, he's the creator of everything, it, th- then, then he is good. And he didn't create evil. I, I, I keep reading these theologians that said God is the author of both good and evil. That is inconsistent with Scripture. That is inconsistent with what we're going to talk about today. But listen, if I'm not confident of that, if there's doubt in my mind, there's going to be issues in my life, and those issues are what are going to represent the God I believe in. The, 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 the character of the God I believe in will be walked out in my life every day. If I truly believe he's good, then, then I'm going to be a different person than somebody who's just not sure. Somebody that's been hurt. Listen, I don't, I don't diminish anybody's suffering in here. We've all suffered, right? We've all gone th- through things that, that we didn't choose to go through, and we've gone through things that we made choices that carried us into. We've all, we're, we have all of this in common, right? We do. But those things can't determine whether God's good or not. They can't. Far too many people, uh, they attribute to what's happening in their lives as the discipline of God. Now, God does discipline His children, okay? He does. But very often, the discipline we're going through is not discipline. It's a demonic attack. The devil is here to kill, steal, and destroy. When you discipline a child, you are teaching them that their behavior is wrong. It will hurt them. Or it will hurt somebody else. When the result is kill, steal, or destroy, you've taken a gigantic leap past discipline. Y'all tracking with me? If I killed one of my kids, guess what? I was disciplining my child. I was trying to teach them right and wrong. They won't get it. They put me in the jail. You know where that law came from? Right out of the mouth of God, thou shalt not kill. Do you realize God does not break his own laws? Wow, that's going to help somebody in here today. That just came from God. I don't have that written down, okay? Man, that's that's pretty earth-shaking right there. That's a revelation. But what happens is when we believe stuff like that, that that it's just the discipline of God instead of the attack of the enemy, like I say, sometimes it is God discipline. But the end result is to stop the behavior. It's not to cripple me. It's not to mess me up. It's not to, to wound me in such a way that I don't ever get over. It's not to kill me. It's to cause me to walk in a different way. Listen, Many of you had parents who disciplined in different ways. Sometimes they were wrong. Sometimes they were right. I've learned with children that you can discipline this way with this one, but that way doesn't work here. Guess what? God knows that. He knows that. And so he tells us to train up children in the way that they are bent. Guess what? He knows how you and I are bent. 
And so what happens is, 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 is the kind of thinking that has this, that, that, that it's the discipline of God, what happens is it tends to mess up our discernment of what's going on around us, and we forget who the enemy really is. And all of a sudden, God, in a sense, becomes our enemy. God is sending these things, but I got to say, God is good. He's good all the time. That's right, preacher, all the time. God is good. I have to mild that, but I'm not experiencing it. I don't believe that. And so what happens is we start to quote verses out of context to to explain or excuse God. One of them, and I'm going to share it with you, but but before I do, I want to say this. God can certainly turn things that were meant to evil into good things. Amen? Amen. He can can use anything he needs to use, but he didn't cause it, nor did he create it. And it's not that evil thing that causes this to be God. It's what God does after this takes place based on my choice or somebody else's choice. It's God takes that what was meant for destruction and he turns it. Okay? He doesn't let the bullet keep coming till it destroys me. He turns it. That's what Romans chapter 8, 28 says. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. It doesn't say God causes all things. You, you, you see that in the text. It doesn't say God causes all things. He causes all things to work. Some things happen because the devil has decided he's going to rebel against God and do it his own way. And some things happen because we have rebelled against God and we're going to do it our own way. God doesn't cause everything. And what he's saying here is it's it's not the natural synergy of God and those evil things working together that changes everything. No, it's not that. It's the power of God. In that, in that awful thing of changing it, transforming it, turning it, so that it doesn't destroy us. And then we look back and we say, man, that could have destroyed me. That could have destroyed my family. That could have destroyed this. That could have, that could have killed me right then. But God turned it. He deflected it, pushed it off. He let it go by close. And it changed the way I walk. So there's a difference between God causes it and God causes all things to work. That's really the will of God. God's got the power to take different elements, different circumstances, different events that take place in our life, and He's got the ability to make them work together for our good didn't cause it but he makes it turn out for good why because he is good that's what good does that's what that's what good is god is far better than we think he is but what happens is we have bought a lie the devil sold us a bill of goods we've embraced a a crippled and a cancerous explanation of who God is rather than a biblical explanation of who God is. Listen, God's goodness is not what He does. 
Oh, you ought to hear me. If you don't learn anything else today, hear what I'm about to say. God's goodness is not what he does. God's goodness is who he is. And because of who he is, it governs everything he does. Everything. He can't do anything that is not an attribute or a characteristic of who he is. He can't, he cannot, he cannot go against his nature. He cannot go against his nature. And if God is really good, then what God does in every situation is completely good. It, it has no shadow. It's to, in totality and comprehensively in every aspect, in even the most finite, tiniest details. Either God is good all the time or God is not good. That's, that's, all, that's the only choice we have. So what I want to do in this series, what I want to do in this series is get us past those trite little catchy phrases we love to sing to each other in our misery. Okay? Well, I know God's good all the time, Pastor. All the time, God's good. Okay, if, if that's truth and you truly believe it, then live like it. But if it's just something we chant to each other to make us feel better in the midst of our grief, we need to zip it, okay? Because we're not representing God. We're not, we're, 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 we've embraced uh, one of those uh, easy believism faiths and, and, and pop Christianity faith that, that's really fatalistic. And, 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 and we're living out, don't ask why brand of Christianity. There's a lot of people that are Christians that they don't want to ask why. And that's what they proclaim. Don't ask why, just God is good. Just accept it. God doesn't just ask us to accept it. God says, open your mouth, taste and see experience that's what he wants us to do experience my goodness taste and see that the Lord is good that's what scripture says so what we want to do in this is we want to explore the goodness of God by looking particularly at the attitudes and the actions and the responses of Jesus now I want to say this because I want you to understand where I'm going and why I'm going there. The Old Testament reveals God. Little by little by little. It's called progressive revelation. We learn things about God. And those things are to prepare us for when the moment takes place where the God we've learned about steps into human flesh. So we will recognize Him. These are revelations of who He is. When Jesus steps into the planet, He's God in the flesh. I don't have to ask anymore how God thinks or what God does. When I see Jesus and I read about what He's done, or if I were present there and I saw Him and I saw how He reacted and responded to things, that's God. And so we, we've got to understand that. that. There's some progressive revelation there. In the book of Job, Job asks, Why, God? And God doesn't rebuke him for asking why. Job's desperately trying to make sense of the situation he lives in. And Job's not attributing evil or wrong to God. He never says that. It's his friends that, that preach the theology of, of the present church over and over and over. If there's sin in your life, Job, that's why you're suffering. 
That's the biggest, bogus, garbage can full of stuff that's ever been taught or foisted on the church. Yes, sometimes that's true. But that's not true every case. And so what happens is Job is just crying out, Lord, I'm, I'm crying out to your justice. I'm crying out to your mercy, to your holiness, and to your kindness. But you have to understand, Job is one of, it may be the very first book that was written. It's as early as Abraham. Job is a contemporary of Abraham. So we don't have this big defined theology that we look back through with Jesus. We just have this, so we're learning little bits and pieces about God. And by the way, if Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2 are somehow erased, we are just like Job. We don't have a clue what's going on. And so what happens is we sometimes we lift passages out of the Old Testament and we try to bring them into our day and say, this is the God. That's why people say, you know, the God of the Old Testament was angry and, and, and mean and vengeful, and, but the God of the New Testament is not. Listen, God has been good since the moment... Well, he didn't ever become into existence. He's just always been good. We know he's good because he begins to reveal it in the creation. And we see it in the creation of Adam. And we see it in the creation of Eve. And we see it all through the Old Testament. Even though man's bent was to do their own thing, God has always been good in his dealings. And so what happens is ultimately Jesus appears. And Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is and how God acts. He is the Father turned inside out, made visible for us. This is not just a man who is God. This is God who is a man, who acts this way, who speaks this way, who thinks this way, who participates in humanity this way. This is the God in heaven who is good. His goodness is being displayed in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus can't act in opposition of God. If he did, he would not be God. He would be fighting against the will and the ways of God. And listen, God is in perfect unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He can't operate in opposition. God doesn't change. God doesn't accept one thing in one part of Scripture and not accept it in another. If, if you believe that, then you have, you have interpreted Scripture wrongly. God has always expected those who walk with Him to walk by faith. There was never a time that he expected the people of Israel to keep all the laws and be righteous by their law keeping. He was always to walk by faith. To hear him, obey him. And I'll take care of you. I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. But what's happened is we've, we've got it all jumbled up and, 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 and built these theologies then. And what happens is we see the God in the Old Testament as an angry God and the God in the New Testament, well, he's, he's a good God. Listen, God is the same in both Testaments. He can't change. And he is far, far better than you think. Now, I will spend the rest of my time this morning, which is pretty much done, but since we never get out early, uh, I'm going to try to do this quickly, okay? We're not, we're not, oh, man. I'm not anyway. All I'm going to do is collapse this afternoon. 
But I want, I want to show you just, I'm going to move through this quickly, okay? But I want to show you how God is goodness, is good to his core, okay? I want you to see that in reality, goodness may be the attribute from which every other attribute flows. I know some would say, well, it's, it's God's love. But the reality of it is, love is God's goodness to those who don't deserve it. And, and, and it's, we're okay if we disagree on, some, on that. But the reality of it is, Psalms 100, verse 5 says, For the Lord is good. His loving kindness, that's the Old Testament word for grace there. Kessid. Loving kindness, His grace, his, his loving kindness is everlasting and His faithfulness to all generations. Goodness is a moral attribute of God. A moral attribute is something that's relative to us that God reveals in His relationship with us. It's the way we can understand who He is. And God relates to us in a manner and a method in which we understand. His moral attributes are communicable. In other words, He communicates them through His actions. And He does it to us, and they're, not, they're, not, they're, they're, they're shadowed by us in the way we respond to Him. We replicate those, those communicable attributes in the way we relate to Him and the way we relate to each other. We're loving to each other. We're good to each other. Or we should be. Those things are given to us and the ability to do that because of God's goodness. So goodness is not what God does. God, goodness is who God is. And it's only when you and I understand who God is that He's good. And that we can grasp what God does and why He does it. Whatever He does, He does because He is ultimate goodness. I'm going to say that again. Everything God does is ultimately good, whether I can explain it or not. His moral attributes is literally made up of His goodness. So we have to learn to look at the works of God's hands and the outworking of His will through the lens as we look at the world of His goodness, of who He is. I can't look up into heaven based on what I know and understand He's good. I have to look at the world around me and know He's good to get a clear picture of what's going on. And if we find that place where we truly trust that God is good, that He is who He says He is, then the rest of this stuff goes a lot smoother. I don't worry nearly as much. I don't rub my hands and, and I don't dread things. The goodness of God means that He is the final, ultimate standard of good and that all He does is worthy of approval. That's what good means. Good means worthy of approval. All that God does is worthy of approval. Psalms 84.11 says, No good thing, no worthy of approval thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. D did you hear that? That God doesn't keep anything good back from us. Nothing. That's what that scripture says. His, this approval, though, is His approval. How many of you realize you don't make the judgment call? You're not qualified. But, 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 but I'm sorry. You're not eternal. 
You see a moment in time. You live in a moment of time. You're not credible to judge if God is good or not. I know that doesn't go over well. That's Bible. That's reality. Otherwise, we create these theologies that explain away all of that stuff. And we refuse to take responsibility for who and what we are. So, Nelson, I would have liked a lot less. I'd have done it. It'd been better to feel good this morning. Listen, I'm telling you stuff that if you grab hold of, you will feel good. You will feel good. You won't be able to excuse things away anymore. You won't be able to sweep it under the will of God's will or or this is just the way God works, mystery rug anymore. You'll deal with it. But if you'll listen and you'll grasp these things, it'll change you. It'll change you. The goodness of God means that God is the final arbitrator, the final judge of what is good what the standard of good is. And, and the reality of it is, is that because he is good, it's his character, he can do that. I, I don't have to worry that he'll get angry tomorrow and change. No, he's good. He's good even when he's angry. Okay? I know that's not easy believism Christianity. It's surely not Western Christianity. But it's biblical Christianity. You want to see the goodness of God? You look up on that cross. Six hours. You say, man, God's pouring out His wrath. He's pouring out His goodness. You know who He's pouring it out on? You and me. Because what He was bearing is what we're supposed to bear. What was our penalty, He takes on. That's the goodness of God. And it happens over and over and over so, so the, the, this goodness of God is, is, is that which is worthy of approval. No good thing God withholds from those who walk uprightly. It's, what, it's like Jesus said, there's nobody good in Mark 10, 18 except God. God doesn't give us everything we want. He gives us everything we need. That's goodness. Listen, I've prayed for some things that I had gotten. I wouldn't be here today. You probably have too. But God is so good, He's son, I can't do that. That'll kill you. That'll destroy you. Not only that, it'll destroy a whole bunch more. Not going to do that. This moral attribute idea, this core characteristic of God's goodness is expressed in one form or another in all His other attributes and all His other characteristics. We see God's goodness in, in, in His moral purity. Okay? That purity means he is absolutely free from anything wicked or evil. Okay? Understanding the purity of God and the goodness of how that purity is displayed and how it's worked out should tell you this little secret. If it's wicked or it's evil, God's not within a million miles of it. Okay? You say, well, what about death? I can't find death as being good it's always wicked. Death comes, it, it's one of the last enemies. By the way, that's what Jesus, that's what the scripture says. It's one of the last enemies that God deals with. Enemies of God are never good. They're never, but, 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 but you build your theology on buts if you want to. If ifs and ands and buts uh, would help a frog, he wouldn't bump his 
place he sits every time he jumps, okay? So listen, we can build theology. I probably shouldn't have said that. I can't cut it out. Now it's done. It's out there, okay? It just went through my mind. We do all this but, but, but stuff. God rarely uses the word but, okay? But it's, it's, his moral purity is, is he's absolutely free of, free of wickedness and, and evil. God's holy, which means he alone exists in absolute purity. In other words, nothing else comes close. It, it, it's not even in the same creation. Nothing. He, he's absolutely pure. His righteousness, and, and I like this definition, his, his righteousness is his holiness, his absolutely, uh, absolute purity applied in relationship. God's not just good, he's right. All the time. And all the time God is right. Now that would be something that we ought to repeat to ourselves in church. Because most of us think we're right. Amen. No, God, you're not right all the time. If I were God, I've heard this before. If I were God, I would have... No, you wouldn't because you wouldn't be God. Okay? So God is... That righteousness is, is his, his holiness and His purity applied in relationship. God's just. That means God is justice. He acts in conformity with His laws. The laws He has put in place. And he never shows favoritism. He never winks at anything. He is perfectly just. So in his moral purity, God is worthy of approval. He is good. But God's goodness is also expressed in his integrity, his truthfulness. Scripture tells us that in Hebrews 16, uh, 6 verse 18, that it is impossible for God to lie. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say nothing's impossible with God. That's great theology, except it comes not out of the Bible. God cannot lie. All right? I'll give you some more things. God cannot act contrary to his nature. God will not act contrary to his nature. God is, what what this means is, integrity, it means genuineness, that God is real, the real deal. He is real in every way. There's nothing pretentious. There's nothing fake about God. God is, he's not withholding who he is or what he thinks from us. He's honest, authentic, and he's open. Listen to me this morning. You don't have all of God. You can have more. There's always more of God. You have all of God, but you can still grab it. You know what I'm saying? You can still take hold of him. You can still it be revealed in a, in a, in a deeper way. He is available to you. He's real. He's there. But we have to pursue Him. We have to go after Him. And Godness, God's goodness in His integrity can also be seen in His veracity. And by that I mean He represents things as they are. In other words, there, there's, no, there's no mirrors, moving mirrors. And, and, and He doesn't need us to move mirrors and build theologies that explain him away, okay? He is who he is. James expresses that in in James chapter 1, verse 17. He says, every good thing bestowed and every good gift is from above. In other words, if it's good and you received it, it has one source 
It's the father of lights. That's what, that's what, there's no, what he's saying is God is the father of light. There's no darkness in God in whom there's no variation or no shifting shadow. Those good things, those perfect gifts are exactly what they appear to be. In other words, when God says, here, I want to give you this, and you go, oh, I don't know if I want that. You've got, you've got something in your mind, God. I know there's a, there's a, there's a secondary reason you're, you're offering this to me. You don't know who God is. When God offers it, it is what it looks like. It's, it's more than what it looks like. And so those perfect gifts come from Him. And, and our faith is the goodness of God. It, it's, it's God's goodness expressed. God's goodness is an integrity can be seen in His faithfulness. He always proves true. Okay, he never lies. He never fails us. He never forsakes us. He never stops believing in us. I don't care what your experience is. This is what Scripture says, and Scripture cannot lie because God spoke it, and he cannot lie. Yeah, but, Pastor, yeah, but, 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 but. Keep believing the buts because the buts come from the devil. Okay, they are lies. That's what he told Eve. Yeah, but did God really say that? God said that. Let me tell you what he said in 2 Timothy verse 2 verse 13 chapter 2 verse 13. If we are faithless, in other words we have no faith. God remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. For him to, to, to not prove faithful in something is to deny he is who he is. To, it's to deny his goodness. He can't do that. God's goodness will, will not allow the, uh, or, or let me say it this way. God's goodness will not allow God to deny who he is. God's full of faith and the one who, who gives us the gift of faith. Our faith is the goodness of God expressed outwardly as we hear him and we obey him. And listen, God's goodness is the root source of his love. Now we all, lo- we like to talk about the love of God. But the love of God is expressed in a lot of different ways. I don't know if you realize or this. God expresses God's goodness of love is seen in His mercy. Mercy is His tender-hearted compassion. And it's His goodness toward those who are in misery and distress. Now, many of us have experienced that. We've experienced that mercy. King David tells us that in, in Psalms 145, verse 8 and 9, he says, The Lord is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger. And great in loving kindness, the Lord is good to all. Not just to the righteous, but to the unrighteous. And His mercies are over all His works. In other words, there is mercy in every act of God. I don't see any mercy in tornadoes. I don't see any mercy in floods. That's what insurance companies call those, by the way. Acts of God. Well, guess whose playbook that came out of? Okay? Well, it's the insurance company. No, it's, it's, it's the enemy who wants us to believe these things are mysteries. They're unexplained. I've got to go on. Can't stop. Okay? Got to go on. We also see in this verse in Psalms 145 that God's goodness of love is expressed in His grace. It's His unmerited favor. God's grace is His goodness to, to those who only deserve punishment. Okay? That's you and me, by the way. 
The Hebrew word, I've already said this, so I'm not going to go into it any, but it's the word kesed there that we see in this verse, his loving kindness. It's the Old Testament equivalent to New Testament grace. And God's goodness expressed in his loving grace. We also see it expressed in his patience. How many of you realize God is patient? If you don't, it's his patience. It's his patience. Patience is God's goodness toward those who continue to sin over a period of time. We just continue it. God's patient. Over and over throughout the Scriptures, we see this phrase, slow to anger. We see it in Psalms 145. We see it all through Scripture. He is slow to anger. It's a vivid picture of God's patience. It's his goodness toward us. And ultimately, we see God's goodness expressed through, through His love in His benevolence. Benevolence is God's unending concern for the welfare of those whom He loves. He is concerned about your welfare. He's concerned about my welfare. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And His faithfulness to all generations, Psalms 105. God cares about us. He cares about what's going on in our life. And His goodness is expressed in everything He does because His goodness is ultimately who He is. Now listen, if you were to take a sharp object and you were, would cut me, you know what would happen? I'd bleed. Okay? I'd bleed. Human beings bleed when they're cut. And that blood is more than just a substance in my body. That blood is my life. Without that blood, I don't live. Without that blood doing what it does, I, I can't stay alive. I die. That blood's me. Okay? I can't separate that blood from who I am. It's not an, a substance you take out of me. It is me. All right? There's a whole lot more, spiritually speaking, we don't get when it comes to blood. All right? Maybe God will reveal it to us. But that blood is me. If it were possible for God to, for you to cut God, let me tell you what would come out. Goodness. He would bleed goodness. Goodness, all that's worthy of approval. That's his essence. His goodness determines his every thought. It determines his every action. Everything he does is good. Whether I understand it or you understand it, whether we can explain it or not, whether we believe it or not, we're not the judge. We're not the jury. We're not the ones who decide what is worthy of approval. God is. Why? Because He is ultimately good. He is the example. So how can I say that? Well, we just look at Jesus. We take a look at Jesus. We're going to close here. Jesus is God in the flesh. The God who became flesh. Not the flesh that became God. The God who became flesh and who dwelled among us. Everything Jesus does exudes the goodness of God. He is the goodness of God personified. Okay? He, he, he's not just God in the flesh. He's God the Father in the flesh. Okay? He's God the Holy Spirit in the flesh. And he's, he's there, man, he's in high definition. Every action, every sermon, every teaching, every interaction, every healing, every miracle, every move that he makes reveals the goodness of God. I want to I read a verse and, 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 and make a statement and we'll be done. But there's a verse in the New Testament. There's a lot of verses. In fact, every verse about Jesus 
is a verse on the goodness of God. But here's one that, that just paints the picture of what I'm trying to say this morning. It's in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. God visits this planet. And His goodness is poured out in the lives of regular people who are suffering through the very same thing we suffer through. They're enduring the very things we endure. There's no different in their, difference in their experience than our experience. And so God shows His goodness to them so that we'll understand His goodness toward us. Listen to what it says. And Jesus was going about in all Galilee. Just imagine Galilee as the state of Alabama in the nation of Israel, okay? Because that's where we live. Nothing geographic, commutes, or under, it's not, I'm just saying, just picture that. It's, it's, it's the city of Morris in Jefferson County. He's going all through Galilee. He's teaching in their synagogues. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He's healing, and listen to this, every kind of disease... He could have just put healing disease, but he puts every kind. He's healing every kind of sickness among the people. And the news about him is going out into all of Syria, into the, into the lands around Israel. And they brought to him all who were ill, taken with various diseases and pains and demoniacs and epileptics and paralytics. And it says this, and he healed them all. God's just pouring out His goodness. He's not sending disease to make people better believers. He's healing that stuff. He's dealing with that stuff. So why did God, what did God heal? Scripture says, or what did Jesus heal? Every kind of disease, every kind of sickness, emotional, physical, spiritual. Who did God heal? Who did Jesus heal? Everybody that were brought to Him. Everybody who came to Jesus... He demonstrated God's goodness. He revealed it. He expressed it. Listen, when you cut God, Jesus flows out. Okay? This is Jesus with his veins opened up on this planet, flowing through communities, and that blood is bringing life. That, 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 that living illustration of who Jesus is, who God is, is giving life. He's not taking life. He encounters two or three funerals, and what happens? They get up. They're alive. He goes to the tomb of Lazarus who's been dead for more than one day. Lazarus come forth. What does Lazarus do? Lazarus is alive when Jesus dies. He, he, he is meeting their needs. He's the goodness of God revealed. And listen, my opinions of God can't form, can't form a theology because I've taken some obscure verse out of God. I mean, taking an obscure verse out of Scripture, I've lifted something out of context. I can't form a theology that way. My theology can't be built on excuses because I haven't experienced it. If that were true, I could tear numerous pages out of my Bible because I haven't experienced it. But my, my, the, my theology and my belief system is not based on my experience. It's based on the truth of what God, who is good, says. He is the judge of what is true and what is not, not my experience. You say, Pastor, that's tough. I'm, uh, that's truth. And when you take hold of the truth, it sets you free from all those other garbage can beliefs. See, we, we've, we've Im imbibed all of this garbage, and we want God to act like we act. We want Him to do what we want Him to do. 
God has got a will and a plan. And we fit the plan. He doesn't fit himself into ours. The writer of Hebrew puts it this way. And listen to me. If you'll catch this verse and what he's saying, you'll have it. Hebrews 1, verse 1 and 2. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, didn't speak in completion. You see that? Spoke in portions, little bits. And in many ways, he used a lot of different ways to communicate. In these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, in one person. Now listen to what it says. Whom he appointed heir of all things. Everything we know about belongs to Jesus now. Through whom he also made the world. Jesus created everything. That tells me that the Father and the Son are God. Okay? I don't have to wonder what, what, what the... I was going to say Paul. I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. But if you don't, it's okay. We don't know. But it tells me that, that this is God. And then he says this, And he is the radiance of the Father's glory, of his glory. And he has underlined this. He is the exact representation of his nature. In other words, the nature of Jesus is the nature of God, the Father who created everything, who lives in heaven, who in the end moment will everything will bow before him, everything will be handed over to him. Jesus is him, and he represents his nature purpose perfectly. Thank you. God says that Jesus is the exact representation of his nature. In other words, Jesus is God's goodness on display for the whole world to see. There's not going to be another, another revelation of who God is. Why? Jesus is the exclamation point. It's not that we don't focus on the Old Testament. There's, we don't know who Jesus is without the Old Testament. But Jesus gives meaning to the Old Testament. Jesus gives meaning to Paul's letters, to the book of Revelation, to John's letters. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I grew up in a, in a, in a stream of, 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 the, of the church that preached, it's Jesus. And let me tell you something, they were 100% correct. It's Jesus. It's all, if you will grab hold of Jesus, you can interpret the stuff that's behind him, and you can interpret the stuff that comes forward. But if you don't grab hold of Jesus... You're not going to ever understand who God is. Okay? God's not a caricature. Jesus is not a caricature. He's not an emanation that, that comes down and he, He's a lot like God. He is God. And if He did it, then this is God's mindset. Okay? If, if He said it, then this is God's words. I could go on and on. We're quitting. Okay? We're stopping. All right? I've crammed far more in you today than probably I needed to but but here's the reality if we'll just grasp hold of this that goodness is who God is it's not what he does and everything he does is good so if I'm struggling in the middle of a situation or a circumstance or I've got a loved one that's struggling or, or I have a family member that's struggling I shouldn't be asking is God good I should be encouraging. I know God's good. I know God's good. This is not God. This is, this is not how God works. 
it's not, we're going we're gonna to look at some of that stuff over the next few weeks. Probably the next three or four weeks, we're going to look at how we got such messed up theologies. Okay? And then we'll start to look at Jesus. And we'll see how he responds to people who struggle just like we do. If we can grasp that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change our understanding and our picture of who Jesus is. And it's going to give us a better way to represent Jesus, to represent him. You know why people don't want to listen to us about the gospel? is because our presentation of him is standoffish. It's, if that's the best he can do in you, why would I want what you got? See, when Jesus walked into town, everybody wanted some of him. When we walk into town, what happens? I don't know if I want that. You've got a long face. You don't have a smile on your face. You didn't welcome me. On and on and on it goes. You're, you're, you're kind of negative. Lord, when I watch Christians, I see them on TV. They're the ones holding the signs and doing this and this and this. They talk, but they don't do anything. That's not Jesus. That's not the goodness of God. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.